Good morning. My name is uh, Jeffrey Wilcox, and I'm one of the campus elders. Um, this morning, we're reading from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. So if you please stand with me for the reading of God's word. If you do not have a Bible this morning, there's a black uh, hardbound Bible in the back. Feel free to grab one of those. That's going to be on page 986. This is a long section of, of uh, scripture, so if you need to stretch out now, feel free. Oh, there you go. Again, that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 13, and then we're going to finish all the way through chapter 3. Remember, we're reading God's word. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins." But God's wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at this coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in, in our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about the, you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly day and night I'm sorry, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase, may make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our Lord, our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus for all his saints. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Thanks, brother. Some of you are like, gosh, 
I'm tired. Hey, hey, remember the first week we read 1 Thessalonians 1.1, right? So, I mean, this is just payback. That's where we're at. It's interesting, especially in our culture and in our day, uh, where things are so different and we live in such a, a society, this is a very good thing, of lots of different people and different backgrounds and different cultures and different things like that. It's a curious question to try to ask, what is normal? Well, what's normal? Like as you think about your family, what are some things maybe in the family you grew up in that were normal that you go, that's just weird. Like now that I have my own family, or I, you know, that's, that's weird. What are the things maybe that, that you would look at another culture and that they would just see, that's just totally normal. And you go, oh, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, there's, everyone's got kind of a different sense of what's, what's normal. Uh, but one of the things that seems to be normal, and this seems to be almost a worldwide phenomenon now, is that everyone has a cell phone. That seems to be fairly normal. Um, as we mentioned here, we, we've got four different congregations uh, here, uh, Gilbert, Tempe, and Arcadia, and uh, all of us are going through these same series. Uh, we'll all be teaching through this passage today, and uh, Tom Schrader, who's uh, one of the teaching pastors at the Gilbert campus, uh, he and I were talking the other day about cell phones and, and all the different things in his life that where he said, you know, he's, he's about 60-something, he said, there were all these moments where I, if I had had a cell phone, it would have just totally changed how the world like how everything went. And he was telling this story about uh, when he was, it was draft day uh, for the Vietnam War. And he was uh, there, had a big party with all these guys, you know, waiting to see if their number would be called. And, and he, the way he told the story was something like, uh, you know, they got to about 117 and there was a buddy of his that was at like 120. And he's going, okay, I know I'm in, I, I might as well just enlist. And so he leaves the party and he heads, he heads to enlist. And, uh, and, and Tom, Tom leaves the party. Well, he hears on the radio that they stop at 118. And he goes, now if only I had had a cell phone. <laughs> right? I mean, think about it. In that moment, like, I would have called the guy. He would have gone, oh, okay, never mind. I don't, you know, I don't need to do this. But he didn't have a cell phone. He rushes over to the, the enlistment place, and the guy, he caught him just as he was walking out. Right? And, and so a, a thing like a cell phone that's just like a normal part of our life it wasn't always that way. And there's things that, you know, various cultures think, oh, this is normal and that's normal. This leads me to ask, what is the normal Christian life? And does the normal Christian life really change all that much? See, we're surrounded by what normal is always kind of this moving target. Uh, I think the scripture presents to us, here's what the normal Christian life is. Here's what the normal life for the people of God is. And I think part of why the scripture gives us this long history of all kinds of people is that even though the cultures change, and even though certain things change, for the most part, people never change, their core. We know that God never changes. And therefore, what it is to be a follower of his, to be one who trusts in him, never really changes that much. The normal life of a follower of Christ, stays steady. But our expectations of what life should be um, sometimes set us up uh, for failure when the normal Christian life, the normal life of following God is different than what we expect. And sometimes people, when they are invited to Christianity, they're kind of sold a bill of goods. Uh, you know, like, hey, if you come to Jesus, he'll make your life like totally uh, better in every material way. You, you'll be happier, you'll have more money, you'll have uh, better health, uh, you know, it's sort of the psychological version is all your problems will just, they'll vaporize because Jesus is so wonderful. Now here's the deal. Jesus is wonderful. 
And we sang a song a moment ago that said, everything you have in store for me is good. And we believe that. But that doesn't mean that the normal life of a follower of God is void of pain and suffering. What it means is that the love of Christ and the goodness of Christ trumps the suffering that we feel. But the normal life of a follower of Christ involves pain. It involves affliction. And so when we go through these times, we need to remember this, and we need to remember when we are hurting, this is normal. It's how it's always been, and it's how it's going to be. What we're looking at here in this book of 1 Thessalonians is uh, Paul's encouragement to this church in Thessalonica to live in light of the future coming of Jesus. And one of the things that Paul knew would sustain them as they looked ahead to the coming of Christ uh, is, is to know that God is faithful and that God can be trusted so that they could endure the suffering that they endured. Uh, we talked about a number of weeks ago that when Paul started this church in Thessalonica, he was actually run out of town. And uh, it was, it was by, by these persecutors of the church. He used to be one. Then he was getting persecuted. And that kind of affliction is, uh, is how the Thessalonians came uh, to faith. It says in chapter 1, verse 6, uh, Paul commends them. He says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. And so what this whole section that we've looked at so far has been, really all the way up to the last verse we're going to look at today in verse 13, this is all the, an introduction. This is all the Apostle Paul saying, I really love you guys. Gosh, you're amazing. And I'm just so thankful for the work that God's done. And as he recounts this history, uh, we learn some really good lessons about what it is to be a follower of Christ, how God grows us, how God changes us, how we minister to each other. Um, and so we're going to look at this big section today, and it's, it's big because Paul's sort of telling this whole history, reminding them of all that has happened and giving some encouragement along the way. Um, if you want to think of just kind of a big idea for today, uh, we'll, we'll look at some smaller points and kind of use this as a case study to see uh, how God works in a normal Christian life. But the big idea today is this, is that God speaks to us through his word and through pain. God speaks to us through his word and through pain. And if you kind of boil all these verses down, that's, that's what we're going to see. If you boil all the points that we're going to talk about today, you're going to see that's how God communicates. That's how God works. That's how God changes us is through his word and through pain. Um, so what this kind of forms is a, is a case study of the Thessalonians and their, their life as followers of Christ. What is the normal uh, Christian life? What's the normal life for someone who's a follower of Jesus? If you're here today, you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then this should be helpful to help frame your expectations. And if you're here today and you're considering Christianity, you're investigating Jesus, perhaps you're reading the scripture, what this hopefully will do is let you count the cost. Let you see this is... This is what's normal. So you don't think that somebody bait and switched you. You have to see, here's, here's what this actually is. Uh, how did the Thessalonians respond? Well, here's the first thing they did. Here's the first part of their, their life as followers of Jesus. Is they received the word about Jesus as the words of God. They received the words about Jesus from Paul and Silas and his team as the very words of God. Look at verse 13. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, 
the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Now, what's the word that these people have heard from him? Well, we talked about this last week. If you look in the beginning of chapter 2, you see that in verse 2 and in verse 4 and in verse 8 and in verse 9, Paul talks about the word that he brought to them, the, the, the message that he communicated to them, the message of the gospel. Do you see that in chapter 2, 2, 2, 4, 2, 8, 2, 9? The gospel of God, this good news of God. And this good news is all about Jesus. It's about Jesus and what he's done, how God has sent his son Jesus into the world to live a perfect obedient life, to die as a substitute on the cross for us, to be buried and to be raised again so that he could begin to undo all of the effects of sin in the world. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So this word that uh, the apostle Paul and his team communicated to them were the word about Jesus. And how did the Thessalonians receive that? Well, they received it the same way every Christian receives it when they become a follower of Christ. They hear this message. And, and honestly, some of it sounds nuts, doesn't it? I mean, we're, we're like ramping up to this whole like Virgin Mary thing. Like really? Really? And then you go, okay, here's a guy. Like even if you can get your head around that, you go, and he never sinned? When was the last time you sinned? I'll have you all come up and share. I mean, all the time, right? Like, like we can't even fathom a life without sin. And yet, even though he was not a sinner, he was so normal that when he said that he was the son of God, people were like, no. And yet he never sinned. And then then he he died as an innocent man, but they still condemned him. And, And then resurrection, I mean, Really? Really? I mean, this is, a, this is a far-fetched story from a human perspective. This is a far-fetched story if, if everything's got to kind of line up and, and be proven and repeated scientifically. I mean, this is a far-fetched story. But it's the true story. And it's the true story of the world. And so when these people heard this story uh, from this weak messenger, Paul, They heard it not as words of men, not as this kind of crazy story. They heard this, it says in verse 13, as what it really is, the word of God. This is not just the message uh, that's sort of been created by people. This is what it really is. It's the true story of what's happened in the world. It's the true message of good news, and that's how they heard it. See, uh, this is just something that constantly amazes me, especially as, as a pastor, someone who gets up every week just about and communicates the scripture, is that God uses the absurdity of preaching to accomplish his purposes. This just amazes me. I mean, it, if you knew me well, you'd know how ridiculous this is that God would use me for anything. Some of you, oh, Master Luke, and he's great, and his wife's nice, and his kids, oh, they're cute, and whatever. But if you knew me, like, really well, and those of you who do, I'm just amazed you're still here. <laughs> but but you, the reason you're here is because you know that the messenger's nothing. It, this is God accomplishing his purposes through the absurdity of a, a fallen, frail, weak human being trying to expound a logically crazy message and yet God 
uses it and has used it and will use it forever until he returns. The messenger is nothing. Here's uh, an interesting thing that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10. Uh, this is some of the, the people that had opposed Paul uh, to the Corinthians. They, they, one of their accusations was they said, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. You know what they were saying? Paul's really ugly. You're telling me God's appointed that ugly guy? Right, a lot of people have tried to sort of reconstruct what Paul looks like. They think he maybe had kind of a hooked nose. And, you know, he talks about his thorn in the flesh. And a lot of people think that was some kind of physical ailment that possibly his eyes were bad and always kind of seeping gunk. And, I mean, no one really knows for sure, but he wasn't much to look at. And here they're saying, and he's not really a very good speaker. There's this guy that's going all over the world, and he's, pre- he's preaching, right? I mean, we listen to the, the preachers of our day. You think of even people like Billy Graham, and you watch these guys, and you go, ah, oh, I can see why, how that could be effective. They're saying, the messenger isn't that impressive, and yet God still used them. See, the messenger's nothing, but the power is the word. And in 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says this, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, it's foolishness. It's exactly what I was just saying. It, it logically doesn't make sense. You, you listen to that story, you go, okay, virgin birth, sinless guy, okay. Resurrection, yeah, uh-huh. And it just, you're like, that's crazy. That's foolish. It's foolish to those who are perishing. To those whose hearts have not yet been opened to the glorious truth that it is. It says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, we hear the same message, but we look at it and go, I know that's nuts, but it's amazing. It's the power of God to save a wretch like me. Whoa. And that's how the Thessalonians heard this. They heard it not, boy, that guy's really eloquent. Boy, that's really something. They heard it as the words of God. And God uses his messengers. This is why God uses people like me that preach. This is why God uses you when you go into your workplace and when you have a friend or neighbor over for dinner and you communicate to them the message of the gospel, the good news. This is what God does. This is why, it, this is why it's just amazing God uses this. Romans 10 says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Answer, they won't. Right? They're not going to call on Jesus if they don't believe in him. And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? Answer, what's the answer? They're not going to. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is amazing. As God uses, God's plan A has been the absurdity of human beings communicating a foolish message. Also, it could be seen as the power of God, that God would reconcile sinners to himself. And so that's how this Christian life begins. That's the normal Christian life. And if you have not yet heard this gospel message as the power of God that you see will reconcile you to him and cleanse you of your sin and give you a perfect righteousness, then you haven't begun yet. And my prayer is that you would dig into the scripture, that you would see who Jesus is and see what he's done and see that as absurd as it might sound, he is the real deal. Dig into that message. Ask God to help you see it as the power of God.
of God. You ever had this moment? I have. Where, where, uh, I, and I have people occasionally say this to me. It felt like I was the only person in the room. You ever had that moment? You know, I, I felt like my best friend had talked to him beforehand and, and listed out all the stuff I was dealing with. And then, right, I mean, you've had that moment. How does that happen? It's the power of God. The other thing that happens a lot is some of you will come up to me and go, man, it just really impacted me when you said this. And I'm thinking, I don't think I said that. <laughs> I, or at least I don't remember saying that. And yet, God, somehow you, God, I mean, this is an amazing thing. And one of the things I, I hope it just encourages us to do is when we gather together, not just here on Sunday, but for sure here on Sunday, when we gather in our communities, when you gather with a few friends just informally to study God's word, we should gather with eager expectation. We're, gonna, we're not just going to bounce around some ideas. We're not going to just share some opinions. We're going to hear from God. Let's gather with that kind of eagerness to do that. So that's how they begin uh, the Christian life. And then they begin to experience the normal Christian life of pain and affliction. We see this uh, really going from uh, verses 14 uh, down to like verse 5. Uh, here's what it says. You, you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. And displease God and oppose all mankind. They're in pretty good company here. He's saying, you embrace this message of the word of God so much so, this became so real to you that you embraced this faith to the point of suffering for it. You became imitators, it says, of this church in Judea, which was uh, by this time had been uh, persecuted so much that much of the church had scattered into the rest of the world as missionaries. And they're in good company, aren't they? Who else got persecuted? What does it say in verse uh, uh, 15? The Lord Jesus? Yeah, I'd like to be in his company. Prophets? Yep. Paul and Silas and Timothy? Yeah, they got drove, driven out. That's good company. So if you're in a place where you're experiencing pain and difficulty and affliction, especially the kind of persecution or people kind of mocking your faith or coming after you, that's normal. You're in good company. Blessed are you, Jesus would say. That's a good thing. You should rejoice in that. But affliction is just a normal part of the Christian life. It's a normal, normal thing. Look at chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 3 and 4. Well, actually, uh, verse 2, he says, We sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. So one of Paul's strategies here was to, to send Timothy to encourage them uh, and say, hey, I, I was ner he says along the way here, I was nervous that maybe you were going to give up hope, that you were going to give up the faith, that our work was going to be in vain, that the tempter was going to tempt you and, and you weren't going to be able to handle it. But here's uh, what Timothy encouraged them with in verse 3. Uh, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For what? For suffering. Verse 4, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know. This is normal, Paul's saying. Paul's saying, we prepared you for this, and then it happened, and I was nervous that you were going to forget that this is normal. I was thinking that perhaps you would start to go, well, there's no way if God loved me that he'd let this stuff happen to me. 
There's no way that I would be this disliked. There's no way I would feel this much comfort if God really was for me. He says, no, 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 no. I want you to just see this is normal. You're in a good track record. You got Jesus. You got the prophets. You got us. Like you're, you're, in, good, you're in a good place. Here he's talking about persecution, but I want us to even draw out a bit more than that and say affliction in general is a normal part of the Christian life. In James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, James says, Count it all joy, or count it pure joy, or count it uh, the most exquisite form of joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Not if. Saying those few of you that tend to meet, meet trials, try to do your best. He said, no, everybody, you're going to experience this when you meet this, and they're trials of various kinds. That word means like multicolored, multifaceted, all sorts of different things. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God uses his word for sure, but God also uses pain. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I'll tell you what, even as a follower of Christ, you know, you begin and you hear God's word and you love it and it's like, oh, it's the words of God and, and you discipline yourself to read it, but you don't even need to discipline yourself because you just love it so much. And then over time, you know, you, you just, things start to become routine and things start to become normal and you just kind of drift away from that first love that you had. And what is it that God uses to, to, as a megaphone to arouse you? Pain, suffering, difficulty. Sometimes it's his form of discipline and correction. Sometimes it seems like it's for no reason. God uses it for our good. How do we experience this kind of affliction? So we could go all around the room and talk about different ailments and aches and pains and uh, relational tensions and, and difficulties in family. And we could do all that. What about this, though, this kind of persecution? Um, it's been said in China that there are some house churches that, you know, some of the house churches in China, some of them are under very intense persecution. And one of the things they'll do from time to time is uh, they will stage a fake raid where people will show up in Chinese kind of military uniforms with guns and say, if you are a Christian, we are going to kill you. If you want to denounce Christ, you can leave right now. And they'll use that as a way to filter out the false converts. Um, I actually heard of a youth group that uh, tried to pull a stunt like that at a winter camp. I think they got sued <laughs> when people showed up with guns. So should we do that? I mean, should we, like, invite some army in here and go, hey, if you're not with Jesus, time to leave. Like, if you're, I mean, should we do that? How do, how do, we, how do we experience this? I think for mo- mo- many of us, persecution in our place more often just looks like ridicule, mockery, kind of the butt of a joke, family members that just never understand, uh, right? We're coming up on the holidays. One of the things some of you just dread about the holidays is here's another opportunity for my faith to be mocked, right? Uh, I see a, a real encouraging um, but interesting kind of public case study of this right now is uh, Tim Tebow. Any of you know Tim Tebow? There's Tim Tebow, plays for the best team in the world. Uh, Tim Tebow is the quarterback of the Denver Broncos. Um, 
what an amazing thing, the Denver Broncos. I love the Denver Broncos. If you don't know Tim Tebow's story, um, Tim Tebow was the quarterback at uh, Florida when they went on this huge run of national championships and has been a very um, public Christian. A number of years ago in the Super Bowl, he and his mom uh, were in a commercial that kind of was about how uh, when, when his mom was pregnant with him, she had been advised because of some health complications to abort him and how she chose not to do that. Um, and it was kind of a, you know, that was a big public thing. And he's just been, he's been a man of character. Uh, as, far as, as far as anyone can tell, and, and as I've talked to people that seem to have some insight into things, he's the real deal, it seems. And so this is what he does. He uh, occasionally after he, you know, before a game or after a game or after he scores, he'll, he'll go down on a knee like this and he'll pray. And uh, I don't know if you've fo- followed this in social media, uh, social media circles. This has become known as Tebowing. Tebowing. So people now are going all over the world, all over kind of interesting places, and Tebowing. It's like planking, right, if you know what planking is. And so here is someone T-bowing at the Golden Gate uh, Bridge and uh, at Red Square and Stonehenge, uh, Leaning Tower of Pizza. Is it pizza or pizza? I don't know. Even got a dog t- to T-bow. Um, but, but here's, don't go, don't go to the next one yet. I, I just, that's funny, and I love it. T-bowing.com, you can just waste all kinds of time trying to find pictures. But people are doing this, and I think on the website they're mostly doing this um, kind of in honor of him. It's kind of just, they've just caught on and whatever. But uh, a number of weeks ago they played, uh, the Broncos played against the Detroit Lions, and uh, they got killed. Tebow looked horrible. He got sacked about a hundred times. And one of the times after he got sacked, the defensive lineman for the Lions got up and did this. So there's Tebow on the ground, right, picking himself off of the ground, and the guy, you know, Tebowed him. As a, as a mockery, right? And uh, so this, uh, this gal wrote this article. Uh, her name's Jen Floyd Engel. She wrote this article called, Why Do We Hate Tim Tebow So Much? And she basically wrote this, uh, she, she kind of made the point of going, if Tim Tebow was a Muslim and uh, someone had gotten up and sort of bowed down to Mecca after they sacked him, like this would be a whole different ballgame of, of how people perceive this. But he's a Christian, so it's okay for everyone to just rip him. Um, and he is, everyone will say, the most polarizing guy in sports for a long time, both on the field and off. And so here's what she says. She says, his religious fervor is an easy target for the vitriol spewed from those who dislike him, but the reasons are much deeper than that. From his advocacy of abstinence to his infamous, you will never see another team play this hard speech at Florida. That was a great speech. It's like he's too good to be true. He's too nice. And thereby we want him to trip up so we can feel better. We want him to be revealed as a hypocrite. And when that fails to happen, we settle for gleefully celebrating his failures on the football field. And why? Because he dares to say thanks? I could not figure out what was causing this onslaught of venom for a guy almost everybody claims to like. And I finally decided it is more about us. He makes us uncomfortable. He's a reminder that the blue-red liberal conservative fight over taking God out of everyday life is intellectually dishonest. Tebow is proof, this is a great line, Tebow is proof that God goes comfortably into whatever arena of your life you wish to take him. I used to work with a great guy, Simon Gonzalez, a very devout Christian, and he prayed before every meal. Others would be killing free press meals, right, all members of the media, and he would stop, bow his head, and silently say thanks. He was not making a spectacle of his beliefs. He believed that God deserved thanks for what was before him, and not just when convenient for Simon. 
and people would squirm. Not because what he was doing was wrong, but because it was right. It's the same for Tebow. That others chose to mock reminds me very much of the final line of the paradoxical commandment so often attributed to Mother Teresa. You see, in the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. I just want to encourage you, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, and, and for whatever it is, maybe you pray before a meal and people mock that. Maybe it's closer people to you that, that see your faith and, and just don't understand it and ridicule you for it. Listen, it wasn't about you and them. It's about them and God. And uh, sometimes that's just part of how life goes. That's the normal Christian life. Don't be discouraged. You're in good company. Well, for the Thessalonians, here's the next thing, is that their faith in adversity brought great encouragement. So they hear the word of people. They hear it, but not just as people. They hear it as the word of God, this true message. It it allows them to believe it so much that they will stand fast in the midst of adversity and pain and persecution. And their faith in the midst of that then brings great encouragement to everyone else who sees it, right? So the Apostle Paul goes and uh, he says in verse 5 of chapter 3, he says, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So after Paul had left, he sent back Timothy so that Timothy could scope out the situation and bring a report. How are they really doing? I hope they're okay. I hope they're standing fast. And when they find out that they were, it was great encouragement. He says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, And reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Paul's saying, we're experiencing some of the same kinds of pain in others. And in 2 Corinthians 11, he lists out all the different kinds of pain that he experienced as a follower of Jesus. He's saying, in the midst of my pain, when I look at you and I see your faith and I see that you're holding fast and you're not giving up and you are still treasuring Jesus, when I see that, it encourages me. It brings comfort to me, not just about you, but it helps me keep going. He says, verse 8, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. See, they had become the treasure. They had become the reward. He actually uh, says in, uh, let's see, where is this? Chapter 2, verse 19. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? In other words, when Jesus Christ comes, again, another reference to his coming, we're living in light of his coming, when they stand before him, what are they going to be so excited about? Are you going to be so excited that they got to use their gifts and, and Paul, man, I started all these churches and I'm excited. What is going to be his reward? His, as he says, his joy or crown. He, he says, is it not you? These people, these Thessalonians had become so dear to him, he said, that he shared not just the gospel but his own life and they were his reward. And so to see them grow in the faith, to see them uh, Hold fast in the midst of suffering was a great, great reward. The reward of ministry is people. I'll talk to pastors sometimes, um, and uh, you'll say, hey, how do you like being a pastor? And they'll say, it'd be great if it wasn't for all the people. And it's like, can I let you in on a little secret? Ministry is all about the people. 
I mean, it's about God, but God being ministered to people. And the only thing that you have that will last forever around you are people. People. And so, so that is the reward. And so when, when, when you, I just would say, say for you, like when we get up here and we hear God's stories, this is why we share this. It's because we, we love to hear, what is God doing? How can all of our faith be encouraged by what God is doing? And doesn't it encourage you to look at your brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, many of whom are not paid professional ministers. They're just regular people trusting the Lord, seeing God work. That's why we do that. And, and my heart for this church is not... Uh, to, 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 so that I can use gifts and that I can be a, you know, a leader of something. It's to see you grow, to see us trust the Lord. We, we're the crown. Jesus is using his word and he's using pain and affliction to grow us more to be like him. And when we hold fast, encourages each other. This is why, listen, this is why when you're hurting what you want to do, you want to withdraw from people. You want to get away from people. And, and part of it is you want people to reach out to you, and it's sort of a self-pity kind of mechanism thing that we do. But, but we do that. And, and, but here's the thing. When we hurt, we got to let the people in our lives that care about us know. So they can do what Paul did and, and send an encouraging word. And remind us of what's true. And then when they see us enduring and when they walk with us through that, we can, we can actually be an encouragement to them. S- some of you, you're so good at helping other people in crisis. Helping other people in pain. And then when it gets turned on you, you'll never ask for help. Even when the people around you start to go, how can I bless you? How can I encourage you? Uh, no, we're, we're fine. I don't need anything. Our faith in the midst of adversity brings, kind, brings great encouragement. Well, where does this kind of faith come from? I think we've got to go back to chapter uh, 2, verse 13. It comes from hearing the word of God as the word of God. From reading the Bible, not just as words of men, not just as interesting ideas, but as the word of God. And when we see what the Bible says in the word of God, this word about Christ, it gives us faith to endure. It allows us to continue. We read things that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We read that if God is for us, who can be against us? We read that to live is Christ and to die is gain because we get more of Christ. And if you have that kind of mindset, any sort of pain, listen, to live in the midst of this pain is is Christ. To die, the worst they can do is kill you. And you get more of him. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. Here's here's a word that we should receive as the word of God. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who found treasure hidden in a field. And in his joy, he bought that, he sold everything he had and he bought that field. When we read those things, when we read these promises of God, when we open the scripture, not just so we can kind of feel like we checked it off our list, but so that our faith can be encouraged, so that we can hear from God. When we do that, our faith is strong. We can endure. It encourages others, and we're changed. How does God speak to us? He speaks to us through his word and through pain. There's a lot of both in this world. Let's stop and let's listen and let's hear. Let's be encouraged. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, 
we thank you for uh, the word of the cross. Lord, it is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And Lord, my prayer is that everyone in this room would uh, hear the message of the cross as good news, as what it really is, the word of God. Uh, Lord, there's many here today who are hurting and who are um, in pain. And Lord, they need to hear a word from you. They need to hear from your, your word a promise like that if you're for them, who could be against them? And a promise that you will finish and bring to completion the good work that you've started. And a promise that you're good. God, I pray that you would, hear, you would speak to them, that they would hear your voice. And God, I pray as well that um, they would spend time after this service receiving care and prayer uh, from someone up here up front, that they would be encouraged by that. Lord, I pray that as we sing and as we rejoice, that we would um, encourage one another. I pray for our life in community as we get to know each other outside of this room, as we spend time in the lobby and as we go throughout our lives and as we gather in homes. God, I pray that we could be people who encourage one another's faith, who hear your word as it truly is. God, grow us that way. Help us to care about one another deeply. Give us endurance to stand fast even when people mock. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to respond now.